Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat real quick, if you will. We're just going to relax a little bit this evening. Thank you. I don't know where uh, I got into the habit of uh, Christmas Eve services. I wasn't raised in a Christian home, uh, per se. I was raised uh, Catholic, um, and I'm not here to throw rocks or anything. I'm just telling you. Um, so I probably got comfortable at a midnight mass on Christmas Eve as often as is possible um, on military bases around the world. But um, when I surrendered my life to Jesus and came to know the Lord and uh, ended up in the ministry, uh, which was really never my plan, but um, I really fell in love with Christmas Eve services. And so there's always been one. And the purpose for me personally is just um, step outside, step outside of the cultural understanding of Christmas and what's going on. It's just give it a break, come away from it, take a, take a moment, um, not just to be in church on Sunday morning, but to, to just stop and say, hey, we need to embrace um, Jesus. Um, it's his birthday. I, I get the dates are you know con, kind of convoluted, but um, we're celebrating it here anyway. And this is just a chance for us to stop and embrace what I consider the sacred. And so that's what I want to do this, uh, this evening. I just want to talk a little tiny bit about the concept, the idea of the sacred. And that's what um, I like about the candlelight service itself is just that hush and that quiet and that lights are off. The only thing on are candles. Our children are um, the, the idea of passing the fire along. All of those different metaphors that come into what a candlelight service is. But when I think about the Christmas um, story in the book of Luke and the book of Matthew, um, there are a lot of sacred moments in there, moments where it's just time for us to be quiet and, and be involved in what it is that's going on. Uh, Merriam-Webster, I think I forgot to cite that, but uh, it describes the sacred this way, um, dedicated or set apart for the service or duty of a deity, um, um, defines it as a tree sacred to the gods. Um, it also says devoted exclusively to one service or of use as a person who has a sacred purpose in their life. Um, it describes it as worthy of a religious veneration or holy, holy also means set aside for a specific um, purpose um, unto the Lord. Um, and then the last one is uh, of or relating to religion, not secular or profane. And somewhere in here, it's okay for us to capture a sacred understanding of Christmas, not, and when I say profane, I don't mean filthy, nasty, and ugly, but let's just, let's just admit, to the world, Christmas is nothing like what you and I understand biblically. And so there's a place there where you could say the, the, the world has taken Christmas and made it profane. It has made it casual, it has made it common, it has made it um, fun, it has made it everything except the sacredness of what it is when we speak of um, our um, um, deity, our God. And so I want to read this story from the, the book of Luke in chapter 2, but beginning at verse 22, I want to talk about two people that found themselves in a sacred position, in a sacred role in the Christmas story, and their names are Anna and Simeon. And it reads this way from verse two, or excuse me, verse 22 from chapter 2. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, and that is, this is their firstborn son, and so technically, whether it's a firstborn donkey, a firstborn sheep, firstborn goat, firstborn bull, it doesn't matter. The Old Testament law demands that it be bought back, okay? And you have to sacrifice a bull unless, a bull, I mean a bull calf, unless you're poor. 
If you're poor, then you can bring two doves to the priest and you can sacrifice those and keep your son um, for yourself. But it says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, which also included Mary and Joseph and, and the birth of the baby, uh, Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated or paid for um, to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. <clears throat> so now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah and moved by the Spirit, capital S, so the Holy Spirit of God Almighty. He went to church, he went to the temple, he went to the courts and when the parents brought in ch the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, sorry, I was just out in the lobby and somebody walked in carrying their child and as they walked up to me to say hello, their child immediately reached out. It's the first time in her life that I've ever held her. And suddenly there was just a metaphor there that I ran into while I was reading. <clears throat> sorry about that. Um, so Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He's speaking of you and I. We're the Gentiles. We're the ones that he's talking about, that Simeon was talking about when he walked in there. It says, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phenuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke to them about the child, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. And so we have this picture of Anna and Simeon that had a job to do, that had a work to do in the kingdom of God. They loved God, they chased God, they followed God in goodness. Look at Anna, had been married for seven years and then from the time that however old she was when she got married, if we just say she was, let's just say 17 and she got married from the time she was 24 till the time she was 85, she lived as a widow and she spent all of her time at church in the temple looking and praying and fasting and doing things, saying, God, when will this thing you told me about happen? When will it happen? They had a role to play, and it was a very, very sacred role. They weren't about their situation, Anna and Simeon. They were about God's need for them in the Christmas story, but they didn't know when it was going to unfold. You see, life, when we become Christians, doesn't always go the way that we want it to go. I would, like so many pastors before me, wish that as soon as somebody surrendered their life to Jesus, they went home. So they wouldn't be tempted, they wouldn't be tormented, they wouldn't go through struggles. I wish that it was all sunshine, sunshine, rainbows, and roses. I really do. I wish that if you surrendered your life to Jesus, the enemy couldn't tempt you, he couldn't taunt you, he couldn't come after you, and nobody could say a mean word to you, and they had to leave you alone or they would just disintegrate right there on the spot and it would be over. I, I wish that's how Christianity could work, but it's not. 
We surrender our lives to Jesus and we become part of the mission of the kingdom of God. And we don't know necessarily what that part is always. And Anna Anna and Simeon certainly did not know what their part was, but they knew what God had told them and they began to look and they looked and they looked and they watched, if you will, as watchers on the wall from the Old Testament. They watched in such a manner that when the time came, they were there. They were ready. They were in a relationship with God. So they came and they reaffirmed for Mary and Joseph. They reaffirmed the dreams that they had had. They reaffirmed the angel visits. They even reaffirmed what the angels had said when they walked up and said, this is the child that you have. I don't know if you can imagine walking into church somewhere and somebody prophetically walks up and and not snatches like takes away from you, but very gently, very godly, in a very wonderful manner, takes your child and begins to prophesy to you and say, this child is going to be raised up and is going to be a preacher and as many people are going to come to know Jesus because of him or her. This child is going to go forward and the people whose hands they, the people who they touch with their hands, those people are going to be healed. Can you imagine being a parent and having somebody do that the first time you take your child to church? We live in a world right now where, where it's like, you know, we don't, take our, church, our children to church right away because, you know, some of you, you know, didn't wash your hands or maybe you've got, you know, some sort of little flu bug or, you know, and listen, I'm not, I'm not saying we should ignore that. I just remember having kids and it's like, yeah, we're taking them to church. We're getting out of this house. We can't stay in this house forever. Let's go. We're going to church, you know, and our kids were three or four days old um, when they went to church and it's like, that's just what we did. We did that. Okay, and so here are these people and they're coming in. And what if somebody came up and began to prophesy over your children and say, wow, your children play a key role in the mission of Jesus Christ on this earth and be ready for it and watch what happens. There are sacred moments in our life that we need to take stock of. Some of them can be a little intense. Some of them can be a little more magical, if you will. We would call that spiritual in the Christian world supernatural, but there's also times when it can be kind of just an everyday wow. I don't know if you've ever experienced sacred moments, moments when there was just no doubt in your mind that something so spiritual had happened that you were just glad that you were there. This is kind of going to sound crazy, but let me just go to casual to maybe a little more sacred. I'm a hunter. I like to bow hunt. And there is something sacred about going out at five o'clock in the morning while it is pitch black, climbing up a tree and sitting down on an 18-inch square metal frame and just sitting there tied to the tree, of course, and just waiting in the dark. And then you see the sun, excuse me, the light start to come. And then pretty soon you start hearing birds. That's usually the first thing that you hear. And then you start hearing squirrels move. And then you start hearing a possum or a raccoon crawl through the dry leaves. And then pretty soon, for no reason whatsoever, and you don't know how it got there, all of a sudden there is a deer in front of you 15 feet away. And you don't dare move. There's something sacred about that moment. And this is how I know that, because you go, and you hold your breath, and you watch. It happened to me one time when I was standing on the ground, and the light came up. And I saw a raccoon coming, and they came all the way up to where I was standing up against a tree and stood up and leaned against me while I was looking down at them. 
And it was like, Lord, what are you saying? What's going on in this moment? There's a moment in the wedding when the bride comes to the back of the church, and I've been a pastor for 30 years this past year. September 1st was my, my anniversary, and I've done so many weddings. And there still is that moment when the doors in the back of the event center, the church, um, the, the glen out in the woods open up and suddenly the bride is there and I, got to, I get to invite people to rise and they turn around and they look and you can just hear them go, there's something sacred in that moment that this is about to take place. If you've ever been where a baby is just born your own, when our children were born, when I walked in and the, the doctor very glibly said, hey, do you want to do this? And I said, yes, I do. And he stood there and said, this is how you birth your baby. And I got to birth the first three of them. They didn't want to give me a knife and let me do the next two. Um, so that was probably best. But there is something significantly sacred about birthing a child. There is something incredibly sacred if you have ever been in the room when somebody that you love so dearly left. I will never forget being in the room when my father-in-law left. He was only 54 years old. Excuse me. And I anticipated learning a lot about how to be a good husband and a father from him. And it didn't happen. But I can tell you when he took his last breath and then he just let it back out and he was gone and it was so amazing. You wanted to look around and see who had came and got him. It was just so sacred. But it took that long. It wasn't like a long, it was that long. The child was birthed, the deer appeared, my father-in-law was gone. The moment that a, a believer gets up from surrendering their life to Jesus. I'm a pastor, so I revel in those moments. And you see something has changed. The moment, it's just a twinkling of an eye, the scripture calls it, when we will be caught up with Jesus in the air. The twinkling of an eye is referred to as the amount of time it takes your eyes to bat together. It's not measurable. It's just a moment. It's a twinkling. And there it is. It's in what we call that moment that Paul is talking about when he says this. In the book of Ephesians, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message, the gospel of salvation. Look at this, what it says here. When you believed. Not when you said anything, not when you prayed anything, not when you got baptized in the water. It says right here in the Bible, when you believed in that moment that you believed that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Son of God, and that he died for your sins, and you believed it was for your sins, you were marked in Christ with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit took up residence in your life. That's what's going on. And he's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the day of redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. In the book of 1 Corinthians it says this, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. The perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal has to clothe itself with immortality, but it's going to take that much time. And I don't know if we'll be sleeping and we'll wake up and people will be gone, 
I don't know if we'll be doing something and we'll be caught up because the scripture says we'll be caught up in the air in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We'll be caught up in the air with Christ. But it's going to happen. And it's going to be a surprise. And it will happen in the flash and the twinkling of an eye. And I believe that God does those things to show his glory. I believe that we don't always understand suffering. We don't always understand problems. We don't always understand. But sometimes we ask ourselves when things are difficult, when, when Anna, I think about her experience in the courtyards for all of those 60 years. There she was, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for that flash, that twinkle of an eye. And we want to say, did she do something bad that her husband died? Did these people do something bad? Did they do something good because they only got good things? And I don't think so. I remember Jesus in the book of John, chapter 9, said, the scripture says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither. Sometimes the rough things, the hard things, the difficult things that we're going through are there so that God can reveal his glory to us. And we don't have to like it. Because most of the time we don't like even being uncomfortable. But I, I want you to trust that God is at work doing something. There are so many sacred moments where Mary could have asked the same thing. You know she was humiliated. You know she was embarrassed. You know she kind of hid away for a couple of months with her cousin Elizabeth. You know these things took place because she claimed to be pregnant with the Son of God. Sus. I can reach back into this morning's sermon. A little suspicious, but she was there. And some people might say, God, why? And God will say, this was for my glory. God is always working, but he's not always working, always working on what I want. He's working on what's good for me. Psalm 37, again, something I quoted from this morning, says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. A lot of people will grab that verse and say, God's going to give me the desire of my heart, but that is not what that verse says. That verse says, delight yourself in the Lord. I believe 100% as you delight yourself in the Lord, he will change the desires of your heart. And as he changes the desires of your heart, he's going to give you the desires of your heart. Because you're going to find him the focus of the desire of your heart. I believe that's what happened in the Christmas story with Mary. She was somebody who loved and was hungry for God. Even Joseph understood it might have taken an angel in a dream. It might have taken a straight-up angel. But still, he believed God. It's what happened in the shepherd's life. It's what happened in the magi's life for sure. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they believed, and they put their whole lives on hold for four, four or so years, depending on how long the traveling actually was. Wow. They delighted themselves in God. They sought the Lord with all of their heart, and the Lord revealed himself to them, the scripture says. Tonight is sacred for the Lord. And so tonight we bring reverence to him as we celebrate his birthday, the beginning of what he did on this earth. No Santa Claus, not tonight. December 6th is his, on his tomb. Those of you with kids in here, you know. No Grinch, a lot of fun there. Tonight's not about the Grinch. It's not about Krampus. Real things from foreign countries. No Frosty. Not tonight. No Rudolph. Not tonight. Jesus. Jesus being born of a virgin 
And that was a sacred moment that nobody saw or understood as sacred except Mary and Joseph and maybe, maybe their family. The angel told Mary and Joseph and nine months later, the moment was there. And then all of a sudden it happened. In the twinkling of an eye, they held a baby. And that baby was the consolation of the world. One moment he was here, excuse me, one moment he wasn't here, and one moment he was. That's Christmas. At work, at play, during your festivities, I believe that when you leave this room tonight, look for a sacred moment. When you're opening presents, look for a sacred moment. Listen, I don't understand why I cry so much anymore and it bothers me. Just a little tiny bit. I, I don't. But I've come to believe that it's because I saw something sacred that I believed was so sacred that I just want it to be a part of my life. It'd be a child sitting there talking. Um, after the service this morning, there were two little girls that came and found me where I'm handing out Jolly Ranchers and that's what I thought they wanted, but I didn't I'll hand out Jolly Ranchers today. These two young ladies, I'm guessing, don't hate me parents, about eight years old, just walked up to me and I said, did you come to get a Jolly Rancher? And they said, no. I said, we came to pray for you. In the midst of all the people leaving the service this morning, all they wanted to do was pray for me. And that little girl, the one little girl, she didn't even hesitate. I said, okay, and she started talking to God. It was sacred. It was so sacred. It's, that's what we're trying to do in this room, in this place, in this mall, in the central Kentucky with your kids and with you. We want them to be the sacred. That's the goal. But I would encourage you to start looking for the sacred as you go out from here. God is there if we'll just stop. God is there if we will just fast. God is there if we'll just take a moment to pray or if we'll search for him with all of our heart. 30 years in, I do this because I promise you, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. I believe that he came down here and lived for us a perfect life to show us that it could happen in humanity, but because we screwed it up through Adam and Eve and through all of our own sin. He came down here to pay the price. I believe that surrendering your life to Jesus and saying, what now, Lord, is the most incredible thing that can happen in your life. When you begin to say, that's going to make me uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it anyway. You will begin to see a life that you dream about, but you haven't tasted until now. And I want to encourage you to embrace, embrace that. Tonight, we are looking for the sacred 